0: WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston radio veteran Ken Meyer.
1: Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk. A gentleman who has turned into a good old friend is back with us, not to discuss a book, but his rather interesting, I think, and colorful life growing up and meeting all the who's who and show business and everything else. And his name is Jim Rosen. So Jim, good to have you back again. Thank you. Now let's, let's go way back. Are you from Los Angeles? Is that where you grew up? No, I was born and raised in Philadelphia.
0: How'd you get to Los Angeles? <laughs> That's a long story. I, uh, I went to Los Angeles after I graduated from uh, Temple University here in Philadelphia. And uh, I remained there for a period of about 11 years.
1: Okay. So what was your first,
0: uh, how did you
1: get involved in the, I mean, you've, you've done all kinds of things and met all kinds of great people. How did, you, how did you wind up doing that? Did it happen just by chance or did you go knock on studio doors or how did it all get started?
0: Well, when I get out there, I had uh, done some writing and uh, I wanted to be an actor. I had worked in, uh, in radio at the university. Uh, I was in a broadcasting curriculum and we had put on... Uh, historical dramas that were broadcast to the uh, Philadelphia school system, and also we did original dramas on the FM station. Um, and from that, I I began to t- get a, take an in, uh, develop an interest in acting, and also in writing. So uh, when I finished school, I decided that I would. Uh, Go to LA to uh, seek my fortune, as they say in, in the TV industry. So I uh, studied acting at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. And I uh, through some connections, I was able to meet people at uh, Paramount Studios, uh, in particular uh, the producer of a TV series there. And, um, he read my material and he didn't think it was quite right for the series he was doing, but he referred me to somewhere else. And that's really how the business works. You know, it's, it's still very true today. It's by referral and getting to know people. And it short circuits the, uh, the process of trying to find your way amidst, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of aspiring people, you know, in terms of actors and writers. So that's pretty much how I got started uh, by meeting people through referrals. And then um, I was studying acting in acting workshops for about five years. And then what I uh, did was I began to act in plays on Los Angeles' smaller theater circuit. And again, uh, meeting people uh, in that venue, uh, that led to my working in TV. uh, Because, you know, you meet this person and he has a friend who's a producer or a director and they refer you. And if they uh, like you and think you're uh, capable enough, then, you know, they 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 make it possible for you to audition, or they give you the job if it's a very small role to get started, and uh, you build your resume. It takes time, but uh, I I would meet uh, people everywhere, you know, at my health club where I went and played basketball every Saturday. Uh, It was in West Hollywood, right around the corner from where I lived. And uh, there were a lot of industry people that belong there. So I met uh, fellow actors. uh, I met producers. I met writers. And you you get to know these people and you network. And that's basically how it works. But I can't impress upon you more than uh, my saying to you that... um, when you meet people and they refer you to other people, it's it's a shortcut. Not that you know, <laughs> establishing yourself as an actor or writer in the business is a shortcut. But as far as you getting into the ballpark and moving down from the bleachers to the infield, it's a it's a uh, a shorter distance between the two points than if you you know, uh, try to find on your own an agent, Uh, try to contact casting directors, Uh, you know, uh, go through that process. Referral is uh, to this day, uh, I think really how the business works.
1: Did you uh, at any, like when you got started in doing this, there's all kinds of stories you hear about, you know, I ran into a young Susan Strasberg, for example, when I was doing acting classes. Did you, did you meet or make contact with anybody when you were doing that, that, that we would know and recognize and say, oh, wow.
0: No, not really. Um, I, I mean, I encountered a lot of notable people in my travels. It, you know, at the gym, uh, uh, bartending at the Beverly Hills Hotel, uh, driving a cab in Beverly Hills years later, um, socializing. Uh, I met a lot of people that way. Um, but uh, for example, in my acting class at my workshop, I, I, there was no one that you would consider notable. There were some people in the class that were working, uh, getting jobs, but uh, nobody that would cause you to go, wow. Uh, Basically it's, you know, in in your travels. Uh, Of course, you know, when I started to go to the studios, I would see people. And when I would work, work on television, uh I would you know work with uh, people on the show you know some of the uh, you, you know the actors were of course notable you know the stars of the series and and then you you'd see them uh, on the main drag at the studio but um no not really I think basically I met them through my through my work you know uh, on my way up as a bartender and a cab driver and at, at, uh, at my gym where I would play basketball. Now,
1: when I came to Los Angeles, I was there in 1974. And somebody said to me, you know, if you like meeting the stars and stuff, all you got to do is hang around because they're here and they're walking around. I remember we saw Dick Van Dyke and, and tried to catch him and, and we weren't able to do that. But I would venture to say that in in Los Angeles, driving a cab, you must have run into uh, some movie stars or television people that we would recognize.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I said. I met I met people. I met uh, notable people uh, by being a bartender at the Beverly Hills Hotel, which was a a haven for the entertainment industry. It's a very iconic hotel it goes back many many years to this day it's and when i was a a young bartender there it was in place so i met everybody and the same thing in the cab i met uh i worked for richard burton elizabeth taylor one night i uh i met uh you say dick van dyke he used to come to my bar every now and then um in the pole lounge, there was everybody, and anybody, Orson Welles, Rock Hudson, uh, Suzanne Plachette, Tina Louise, uh, uh, Paul Burke, uh, Ringo Starr, uh, God, everybody. I mean, they're, they're, just full of them. You know, some of them came to my bar and some of them sat out in the lounge, you know, eating lunch or having cocktails, uh, in the cab, I met, uh, I had Paul Newman one afternoon for a couple of hours driving him different places. It was fun, fun, uh, fun talking to him. Uh, I had so many, so many, so many people, uh, in, in the cab and the nice thing about that was, you know, you weren't really a fan, uh, approaching them. You were, uh, someone that they, they had to interact with. You were taking them somewhere. They saw the back of your head. So you weren't, uh, it wasn't intimidating for them It allowed them to relax and share their thoughts and exchange ideas with you. Um, gosh, I had everybody. I had Dr. Edwin Teller, who was a nuclear physicist. I had Sergeant Shriver. I had Jermaine Greer, who was a very f- notable feminist author at the time. Uh, Peter Finch, the British actor, Edgar Bergen, huh. who inspired me to become a writer actually uh, did you ever meet his daughter? The list goes on and on. I never met never met her, but uh, i took me I took Mr. Bergen in the cab a bunch of times. uh he used to like to take cabs. And uh, I also took he and his wife to the airport once, which is nice. His wife, Frances, lovely lady. That's, I think that's where Candace bergen her looks from. <laughs> I remember, remember taking Michael Landon and his wife to the airport. Uh, uh, Michael Kane. I used to take him every now and then he had moved here from England. Yeah. So this all goes back to the thing that I told you originally. These are all people I met through my work before I became an actor. Uh, Now,
1: two guys that we have have discussed from time to time that I'm fascinated to know about were Jack Klugman and Mike Connors.
0: Well, I did two Mannixes. Mike was a a nice man. He was friendly. He was not... uh, uh, Some of the actors I worked with Uh, some of the series leads were aloof because if you were there for one or two days, they weren't really going to be, first of all, they didn't have too much to do with you if you were there for a day, for example. And, um, you know, if you were playing a minor role, they really didn't open up to you in any way you know, you have to remember that actors come and go. And as the poet says, and talk of Michelangelo, you know, uh, uh, but Mike, um, he was different. He was a, a very down to earth, unassuming person. He had been a, uh, a basketball player at UCLA. They used to call him touch Connors. And, um, uh, he uh, clicked in this series that ran for seven or eight years, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, the producer that took a shine to me—I originally met him uh, when I uh, first came to California, and I had written a story. And he—he—he he, uh, he is the man I referenced before that referred me to to another producer at Universal uh, who was doing a series with Darren McGavin called *The Outsider*. And I—I I took the story to him instead, and they were done shooting for the season, and they were canceled after one year. So. Nothing happened with that, uh, but Ivan Goff. Uh, uh, I stayed in touch with him. He and Ben Roberts produced Mannix, uh for Bruce Geller, who was the showrunner. Uh, uh, Bruce Geller did uh, had Mission Impossible and Mannix, both both the, uh, being filmed at Paramount. So anyway, Ivan was helpful to me, and he was a nice man, and he gave me two jobs. And uh, I did work both times with Mike and another actor the second time with with Jack Ging also, who was a very uh, nice guy. And and he had a nice career, Jack Ging. He was on a series with Wendell Corey and Ralph Bellamy in the early 60s called The 11th Hour. It was about psychiatry. It was interesting. He played a psychologist. So he had a reoccurring role in, in Mannix. And uh, so I did the scene with he and, uh, and Mike, but I, I liked uh, the Mannix people um, like the crew got to know the cameraman and the, the, uh, the camera operator and the sound mixer. Uh, and uh, the, it was a good show. It was, uh, it was fun to do. Um, yeah. Jack Lugman. I had a very, uh, close association with, um, I first uh, came to him actually through my father. Um, my father and Jack's older brother were uh, good friends. As Jack's older brother still lived here in Philadelphia. Uh, two of his brothers did. And, uh, through his brother that was friendly with my dad, um uh, When Jack came here to do a play, uh, my father uh, and mother, I think, went to see him and uh, see the play. And and my dad went backstage and he told him uh, about me. And uh, Jack uh, said that, uh, well, have him get in contact with me. And if he's uh, talented and capable, we'll have him on the show, you know, something like that. So when uh jack came back to california i did contact him and uh, he arranged for me to meet the casting director and i read for a role in the first episode it was a 90-minute show called go fight city hall to the death and it was a small part of a policeman he has a he has a little bit of a monologue justifying why he shot somebody and uh who was a suspect in the storyline and um I got the part and I did it. And uh Jack said, you know, uh to stay in touch with him because I was writing and I uh, uh I told him I had an interest in writing. So anyway, a couple of years later, uh I had done another Quincy and uh he was looking for writers and I was uh uh writing a play that was ultimately done by a theater company on Hollywood Boulevard. It ran for six weeks and it was uh, about a cab driver in Beverly Hills who was an actor. It was autobiographical to a great extent. And he read the play and he said, honestly, I'm not sure where the focus is, but uh, I guess he liked the dialogue and he liked the characters and he thought I had a talent for writing. So he told me about a, a telethon he had just done with uh, actor Lloyd Nolan for autism, because Lloyd Nolan's son had, had uh, died many years before. Uh, he was severely autistic, unfortunately. And, and um, uh, Jack was very uh, intrigued by the, uh, the syndrome because you know, an autistic child could maybe play the piano, but he would be unable to tie his shoelaces. So the uneven learning ability was very fascinating to him. And uh, he said, I, I wanna do a story about it, a script. He said, but uh, I, I need to, I have a story idea, but if you go with it, you have to read a couple of books here and then I'll send you out to UCLA to see Dr. Ed Ritfo, who's a psychiatrist who works with autistic children. So I said, okay. So I think he, it was very, uh, uh, appreciative of my enthusiasm and I read the books and then I went to UCLA to see Dr. Ritfo, who was a great guy. And I met his associate. who was a psychologist. And, um, I observed and uh, I came up with a script and it needed work, but, uh, Ultimately, when he finished shooting season two, uh, he sat down with me and we rewrote we, we, we some of it. And that ultimately became the first show that was filmed in the third year. And uh, that's how I got started writing stories and teleplays on the show.
1: What was the title of that show?
0: A Test for remember? Living. What is it? A Test for Living. I remember a
1: show that they did. Uh, specifically on down syndrome
0: no that was a different show okay yeah. yeah no that was not a show about autism yeah yeah
1: now i i know your cousin was nehemiah persoff was he any help to you as far as getting uh, contacts or concerned? Mm,
0: not really um his the he was more of a help to me um just in uh, being uh, uh, being a friend and, and uh, advising me and uh, and uh, providing an open house, you know, uh, a place to go with a sense of family. That's that was uh, you know it's funny you asked me that because I remember one time they were casting it never came to fruition, but they were casting in L.A. Uh, uh, on the waterfront there was going to be a stage production and I thought there were several roles in it that I was right for and the director was John Marley the actor so Nick so Nick said to me uh, call Johnny and just tell him that I, I I asked I asked him to audition you so I called John Marley and <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, he, he was a close friend of Nick's, but uh, he kept saying, well, I, I don't know your work. I don't know your work. I I said, well, I'm right for the role. Said, well, I don't know you. <laughs> and and uh, the play was never done. It never came to fruition, but uh, it, 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 Nicky referring me it didn't help that much, although John Marley had great aff- affection for uh, for Nick. I think the problem was that uh, Marley had already auditioned everybody and the auditions were over. And for some reason, he didn't want to, uh, you know, uh, audition me because it was already finito, completo, you know. So the referral didn't help me. But that's the only time I remember where Nick really... Uh, uh, referred me to someone in the industry. But uh, my association with him and my friendship and relationship with him was, uh, was of great value to me. And uh, I think I was able to pay him back uh, 50 years later by <laughs> stepping in and first by egging him on to do his memoirs and then by uh, editing the book, but he did it at an age 101 and it was amazing. His his memory was amazing because he had a very colorful career. He worked with everybody on Broadway and movies, on television. He had a fabulous career. He was a very interesting man. He came from Jerusalem uh, and... Uh, you know, there was a culture clash for him personally when he came to America to live as a nine-year-old boy in Brooklyn. And because uh, the people there were very different than the people in Palestine. And, it, you know, he spoke Hebrew. He didn't he didn't speak English right away. Uh, so it was quite an adjustment for him. And then also uh, a clash with the uh, ethics and values of the entertainment industry. Because he was a very... uh Pure of heart, man. You know, based on the culture he came from. But I had a great uh, re- relationship with him, uh, and that was the the, the crowning achievement. Our, uh I our editing the book, which he had written, and publishing it. Uh, many the many faces of Nehemiah. Also, when he did his one man show, Sholem Aleichem, uh in Los Angeles, it became a big hit. It was a one one-man show where he told five stories and played 27 different characters. And it just demonstrated how, how, how gifted this man was. I mean, he was a trained stage actor from the actor's studio with Ilya Kazan and Lee Strasberg. And uh, he, he really, uh, he, he was so creative and so gifted. And it really showed because in a way that you would sometimes not see from characters that he played on television or in movies. Uh, uh, it, it really, you know, it separates the men from the boys. I think when you, if, if you're a really genuine actor and you have a stage background, um, it goes beyond being liked by the camera and making you a hit with the audience, you know? So uh, I was his stage manager for the first three months of the play at the Oxford theater in Los Angeles. And that was a great experience for me, uh, watching him and, and being the stage manager, uh, operating the lights and the sound cues and uh, doing all that. And then, uh, I left to do a play at the, at the, uh, Beverly Hills Friars club, uh, after three months. And, uh, The play went on to become a big hit. He he did it in San Francisco. He won the L.A. Drama Critics Award. He won the San Francisco Bay Area uh, Award. Uh, He went to Canada and did it in Toronto. He went to Florida and did it. He went to Australia. He went all over the world and did that play for a period of 25 years uh, when he wasn't working in TV and movies, you know. So that's a great thing. Um, but as far as him really helping to further my career in the business, no, no. Uh, I, and, and rightfully so, because he was not a producer or a director, you know, he was an actor. He was, people were hiring him to work, but, you know, he wasn't in a position to hire me for anything. So,
1: I'll always remember John Marley in the godfather uh, he had well, you,
0: know, you, you know what uh, it's ironic you bring that up because nick was offered that role nick was offered As... the one uh, the studio i think it was robert evans they yep. wanted nick to play the godfather they were very interested in him to play and then marlon brando who who nicky knew uh and work with and on the waterfront and work with at the actor's studio Nikki Nicky was also friendly with his sister, Jocelyn Brando. Um, he, 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 Brando auditioned. He did that famous audition where he stuffed his mouth with Kleenex or what have you and did, the, uh, did his uh, rendition of uh, Vito Corleone. And uh, he got the part. Uh, Francis Coppola just loved him and just wanted him. And he went out over the studio, who I think for a time wanted uh, Nick to play the role. So uh, Nick was disappointed, of course, but he he knew that Brando was uh, did an amazing job. And uh, as a consequence, he was offered the role of the Hollywood producer, <laughs> ah. but he 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 didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. And John Morley was subsequently cast, yeah. yeah.
1: It's it's a very short uh, role, but at the same time, a very powerful one.
0: Yes. Yeah. Now,
1: tell me about, I mean, how do you find out that so-and-so is looking for actors? I mean, do I, I know they have cattle calls. Um, were you involved in any of those, or did they just... Or do you get on a list and does somebody call you and say, look, we've got this role of uh, somebody for a bartender in a Mannix episode. Can you do it? How does that system
0: work? There's a myriad myriad of ways it happens. For example, I go back to referrals. Now on Mannix, I did two episodes because Ivan Goff, like me, and he cast me as a bartender in one episode. And then he cast me in another episode as a... uh, 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 a police uh, sketch artist. He just called my agent and said, uh, I want well, Jim Rosen to do this part. Is he available? And naturally, my agent said, Yeah, he's available. <laughs> um, with Adam 12, I did two of those. Uh, Herman Saunders, who was a wonderful man, he was a uh, musician originally, and uh, Jack Webb hired him to become a a producer and uh, uh, he was um, a terrific guy. And he learned the business and got very good. And he was uh, at that point a producer on Adam 12 and he became the executive producer. And he was at the Friars Club and saw me in the play there. Um, And uh, a couple years later, because uh, I, I went traveling for a year. And I disappeared. I was in Europe and uh, traveling. And then I lived in Israel on a kibbutz. I came back and I was now working as a bartender at the uh, Hillcrest Country Club. And uh, Herman Saunders had, and I kept seeing things in Adam 12 I was right for. And uh, I had an agent, but uh, he wasn't helpful in getting me an audition for the show. He would submit me, but... You know, so were a lot of other agents submitting a lot of other actors. But the uh, the, uh, the the key was Herman Saunders, uh, not the casting director. Uh, Herman Saunders had seen me in the play, so I used that. Uh, at the Hillcrest Country Club were all the Jewish uh, comedians, George Burns, Groucho Marx. Uh, Jack Benny. Jack Benny, Georgie Jessel, they were all there. Uh, Edward G. Robinson was there. I remember I used to talk to him. So I would mingle with all those people, being the bartender. And uh, uh, he um, and, and George Burns would come by smoking a cigar. And George Burns had been a, done a series years before called Wendy and Me with Connie Stevens and Ron Harper Warner Brothers. And guess who was the producer? Herman Saunders so I so being not being shy and retiring I (laughs) said Mr. Burns I said I told him the story and how I've been seeing things on Adam 12 and I was an actor and I had an agent and I had done an episode of uh, Love American Style and I'd been in a couple of episodes of Mannix so he said oh okay well uh could you you know remind me remind Herman Saunders uh, of me, and tell him that I'm the young actor he saw in, in the play at the Friars Club. And he said, yeah, all right, look, call me at General Service Studios. That's the studio, he still had an office there. It's an, it was a charming little studio on a residential street in Hollywood of all places. And that's where they did the Burns and Allen show for many years. So he still had an office there. And he said, uh, call me and, and, uh, and uh, remind me of this, and, and I'll call Herman. Well, a week later, I'm working at the, the club, the country club behind the bar, and who comes walking by puffing on the cigar but George, George Burns. And I said, how are you doing, Mr. Burns? And uh, he said, I called him, so uh, he's aware of you. So uh, be patient and uh, okay. So a week, week or two goes by and one day my agent calls me and says, uh, you got an audition on Adam 12. So I auditioned, I didn't get the part. <laughs> two, weeks, two weeks later, I get a call from my agent saying, you're gonna work on uh, Monday on Adam 12. And they're sending you the script. And the part was better and the one I auditioned for, so, and then after, after I'd done that, I got a nice letter from Herman. He was, he was such a dear man, mm. lovely man, and he remember him signing it. It said you were, you were great on Adam Twelve, <laughs> and it just just gives it just just gave me such a great feeling. You know, it lifted me off the ground, and uh, they called me four months later. And I did another one. They started shooting early, for which would be their final season. And uh, I did another one. Again, a nice, nice, nice part. where I had a couple scenes, and or one, one really good scene with the uh, with Marty and Kent. And uh, and that's how that worked. So that's an example of a producer who had seen my work. You know, not an agent who submitted me to the casting director, and I got you know. Um, uh, Jack uh, also referred me to a producer at Universal when I was working on Quincy, and that led to a part in a miniseries called Loose Change. Was a, And also, uh, when I did the first episode of Quincy, uh, that same director was doing a, a nine-hour miniseries with uh, Sam Elliott and called Once an Eagle. So I uh, contacted him and reminded him who I was. And he remembered me. It had only been like a year or six months since he had directed me in the first 90 minute episode of Quincy. And he cast me in the, uh, it was a small part, uh, but he cast me as a, uh, an infantryman in uh, Sam Elliott's company. Uh, we shot that out at uh, uh 20th Century Fox Ranch, uh, west of LA. Uh, and uh, that's another example of how you, you get a job. So, just there were different uh, different different ways, but I can honestly say that. And then once I work for a director, if I had a rapport with him and I timed it where he was preparing for another show i'd i'd write to him and uh, they would get me and they would audition me or cast me that was another way getting a job through a director that you worked for so uh but all these things were set up by referrals originally but those are different ways i don't think i ever got a job where uh my, cat, my agent submitted me, and I, I, uh, I went in and got the job through, through, an, a, through an agency submission. I, I don't think that ever happened. It either came from, through referral through a producer or a director or another actor.
1: That's the way it works. With all these cable services now and Netflix and everything else, is it easier for someone young... Who wants to as you put it seek their fortune now than it was when you went out and did it
0: i don't think so no um there's more product being done but you know when i lived in la 85 percent of the screen actors guild was unemployed i would i wouldn't be surprised if that's still very true you're, you're just talking a, a gargantuan number of actors <laughs> and you're 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 for for uh, it's it's like inflation you know too much too much money for too few goods um it it's it, it's disproportionate so that although there's more product being done with the cable networks and now with streaming the streaming services when you when you weigh that against the number of roles available when you weigh that against the membership in the Screen Actors Guild, it's 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 very 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 di- disproportionate. So, you know, there there is more opportunity, but it's still it's not it's not easier. It's highly competitive. You know, every year, tons of people go go out to Los Angeles to uh, try to make it in the industry, and and some do, most don't.
1: Well, another thing that's hard is that back in the fifties and the sixties, you had shows that did maybe thirty thirty five thirty nine episodes uh a season. You don't have that anymore
0: no, most of the network shows shoot twenty two a lot of the uh which is which is in vogue now you have the mini series or limited series that are maybe six episodes eight episodes, 10 episodes. Uh, You have the cable series uh, that come up on Showtime or uh, HBO or or someplace else that, again, are limited. Uh, Now, the episodes are longer. They're, They're sometimes 50, 55, 60 minutes with no commercial breaks. So you get more story content and more character development. But at the same time, there's not 22 of them. There may be nine or 10 of them, or a dozen, uh, or maybe less. So again, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's different, you know. Uh, but the streaming services, uh, I think, has made it a little bit easier, if not for the actor. It's made it easier for uh, a producer, someone that's produced a movie because, uh, if you can raise the money and make a movie, uh, particularly a low budget film that may, you, you may be able to make for 300,000, a half a million or a million dollars. You have a greater opportunity to make noise with it because now you have an outlet, you have, uh, you know, via distributor, you have Netflix, you have Amazon Prime, you have Apple TV, you have Hulu, you have all these streaming services, where years ago, if you made low budget film, you would of course try to get it into film festivals, get a a distribution deal with someone, and hence get it into uh, the art houses uh, in the different cities, uh, where some people would see it, but not a lot. Not nearly compared to now where you do that and instead of it playing it like the Ritz Theater here in Philadelphia, a small theater that plays, you know, people films, character driven dramas and not, 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 not action adventure or sci-fi or horror or black comedy or anything like that, but just stories about people Uh, instead of that which turns out to be a dead end really as farther as far as furthering the career of the movie uh, you have you have it on television in someone's living room seen by millions of people (laughs) so you can really make a lot more noise with the advent of uh, the new the new media which is all these streaming services in fact the unions now have a category for uh, new media so uh, it's changed so there is opportunity I can't downplay it but if you ask me you know it, does it create a greater chance of an actor working uh, I say to you there's more opportunity yes but does it does it really broaden the chance? uh for an actor to work more uh, on a widespread scale, no. there's just there's there's just too many people that are uh, trying to get into the business and it's very competitive. And when I talk to you about referrals, think about this. If you're with an agent that has a hundred clients and he may submit you here or there for a part, you're up against, other actors who the casting director might know and want to use. You're up against a director who doing the episode who may want to use people he knows. You're up against the producer who may say to the casting director, uh, I want to use so-and-so for this or the director that says, I want to use so-and-so for this. And you're uh, a stranger just being submitted to uh, so when the casting director is uh, you know, using people he knows or obligated to use someone that the producer or director knows, what are your chances of being cast, es- especially if he doesn't know you? So that's why I say, I keep coming back to that magic word, referral. Mm. Is, is talent still
1: there? I mean, when you go back, years ago you look at all the great names of you know actors and actresses is is their talent as good now as it used to be back then
0: It's a hard question to answer um you know as a small boy growing up in philadelphia i remember all the magical people on screen you know james cagney humphrey bogart john wayne uh, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, and, and then later, you know, uh, people like Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro, uh, uh, Robert Duvall, uh, uh, people, and, and even earlier than that, going back to the earlier bunch that I mentioned, uh, people that are very charismatic on screen, Rock Hudson, uh, Paul Newman, um it seems to me that a lot of people like that don't exist today Uh, there are some but it it just seemed that on a widespread scale there were more people like that that were just magical charismatic performers on on uh on the big screen um I think there are a lot of talented actors today. I think the acting styles have changed too. Um, I think years ago it was it it seemed a lot of portrayals were more dramatic. I think now there's a a different kind of uh, of of uh, of believability now and honesty. Uh, especially in television because the camera is so revelatory you know that uh, for example in auditions now and the asides that are given to the actor the casting director may say just just don't act just say the lines (laughs) because they're looking for a quality that you have and they don't want you to act they they want you to be they're looking for your, um, uh, your personality and, and does it fit the character. Now with a smaller role, it's, it's not important because your personality is not as, as necessarily established in a very small role. But if a lot of times your job is to just uh, just be honest and say the lines as, as they're written, uh, you're capturing the thought behind it, you know, even if it's very casual and, and say the lines. And if you fit the description of what they're looking for, then you get hired. But the camera is very revealing and uh, you don't have to do a lot of, uh, compared to uh, working on the stage. Uh, it's much less because it reveals so much more. And, uh, uh, particularly in a, in a close-up. And it's amazing how revelatory the, the, this instrument is in, in revealing all these nuances. And the thing about the camera, if, if it likes you, uh, I think your chances of becoming a hit are, uh, are increased uh, multitudes, you know, if the camera likes you. Uh, you look at people like Clint Eastwood and, uh, uh others like him that just looking at them, you, you, you know, they were very charismatic and, and on screen and, uh, the, the camera loved them. So the answer was that they, uh, you know, became, uh, notable, uh, notable movie stars. Um. But uh, I think uh, if there's something about you, uh, something the way you look, uh, some, some kind of energy that you bring to the, the small screen, to the big screen, uh, that's appealing, uh, the camera will pick up on it. It'll translate to the audience and, uh, you know, that's how a rapport is established and uh, and how fandom is created. And, you know, it's uh, it's interesting.
1: Are you surprised at the at the fact of so many shows on television now are shows that were done in the 50s and 60s and and they're still running and, and I'm guilty of watching them I mean, leave it to beaver lasted six years from 57 to 63. And it's, and it's still running. Perry Mason, nine years. It's still running. Gunsmoke, 20 years. And, and they're all still running. Is that yes. amazing to you?
0: Well, yeah, and in, in respect, you know, if, if, if uh, someone had said to me when I was uh, filming a Quincy in 1978 or 1980, that 40 years, over 40 years later, someone would come up to me, as people have, at, at a the mid-Atlantic nostalgia convention that I just did in, in, in Maryland, Hey, I saw you on Quincy the other day. You played the so <laughs> and so. that's amazing. You know, who knew that when you were doing it that it would have such longevity. But uh, in a way it does. but in another way, when you when you look at the uh, Wally and the beaver, I just did the convention with them last year, by the way. Tony, uh, Tony Dow just passed away tragically. Um, uh, When you look at those people and uh, and look at the characters on Gunsmoke, you know, uh, Marshall Dillon and Kitty and Chester and Doc Adams. um, There's a quality that all these people have. They're endearing. They're very honest and they're very human. And uh, they're layered. Their characters are layered, which which good writing will provide for you. When you put that together, it 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 has a, um, a staying power. So that audience, uh, uh, when they're watching it, loved it watching it. And and uh, because uh, you know, acting and writing has has changed in some respect from those days. Um, and it comes again via the retro channels. They love to go back and visit with all these people that they grew up with. So in that respect, it, it doesn't, um, doesn't surprise me. Uh, I think beyond believability in acting, and uh, honesty is a, is a very important thing. And, and when you're watching people that, uh, uh, that are very honest in what they do, and play characters that uh, are, are multidimensional and very human. And there is that humanity in the writing. Uh, those are shows that you, you want to watch again and again. I have a friend that watches Adam 12 every day. And when he's not home, he records them. And he watches them again and again. <laughs> I don't know how many times he's seen an episode. I mean, he's just, it's, there's an endless fascination so in that respect, um, you know, where you go back and you visit with old friends, it's not surprising.
1: Who 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 do they get to appear at these conventions now? Because most of the stars, unfortunately, are are gone. So well, like- at,
0: the, at the Mid-Atlantic Convention, which I do every year, um I go there and I sell my TV, classic TV books that I've written and published. I I take pictures with me from a lot of the shows I did, particular scenes where, or screen captures of, I have a scene with the Siri star and sell those. Um, There have been, uh, gosh, I mean, you name them, over the years, uh, I'm just thinking, like this year, uh, Jamie Farr and Loretta Swit from M.A.S.H. were there, Uh, Robert Fuller from uh, Emergency and Wagon Train and Emergency was there. Uh, uh, Not necessarily in this order, but uh, I'm going through the years Uh, to make it easier for me to remember. Um, (laughs) uh, Robert Conrad, who since passed away, he was there one year. Uh, Lindsey Wagner, Lee Majors, they were all there from the bionic woman and the $6 million man. Uh, I'm thinking uh, uh, back beyond that. Uh, I know one year Tatum O'Neill was there. Um, Tom Berringer was there. Um, uh, of course, last year, uh, Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow were there. Lou Gossett Jr. was there. Uh, you can start to see they get a lot of uh, people that uh, are still around that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. They, they had, they've had quite a, uh, quite a roster of people over the years. Uh, Robert Wagner and Stephanie. um, Stephanie Powers Powers were there when Richard Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. God, they've had everybody from Tempest Storm, the burlesque star, to uh uh the child actress on uh To Kill a Mockingbird, whose name I forget. She was there uh I think the, the year before last. Uh to the stunt double in the movie Psycho. I mean it, it yeah. runs it runs the gamut, but there's a fascination on the part of these people. Um but this past this past year, it was good. You know, you had those people I mentioned. You had uh, uh, Greg Evigan was there. Uh, uh, Jimmy Walker was there. Uh, Bob Eubanks from the newly England game was there. I mean, they, oh, gosh, they bring I'm quite a a, yeah, they bring quite an quite an assortment of people. Uh, oh wow. Yeah, yeah, they had the some of the Bond women, James Bond women were there. Luciana Paluzzi was there once from Thunderball, and she was in a lot of movies, too, Besides that. She was there one year. Uh, Martine Beswick, who was in several uh, James Bond movies. Uh, yeah, they have they've had quite a few people. Do you do, you do any
1: acting anymore?
0: No, I haven't really done, act uh, haven't worked since the 1980s, mid-1980s. Uh, I think about trying to throw my hat back into the ring, but I think at this point it would be starting over again because uh, I, I may have a few movie credits and 25 TV credits, but it doesn't amount to a hill of beans uh, 35, 40 years later. Uh, there are too many other people that are out there that uh, are established. So you get kind of lost in the woodwork. I, I've, I've marveled sometimes where I've seen people that, God, they were working all the time when I was in LA. And once in a while I'll see see them much older on a TV show and they're playing a tiny little bit part. I said one actor was in a series, was a, in a popular series uh co-star and i watched him in a in in a crime drama a couple years ago i remember and he he was like an extra (laughs) what do you what do you like to
1: what do you like to watch on tv now jim
0: well i don't watch a lot of tv i other than uh movies and uh sporting events um and uh some of the news media shows. Um mm. I do I do like the uh, Law and Order series. Oh yeah. I think that uh Mariska Haggerty and Chris Maloney are uh they're they're very they're they're terrific. They're, and it's uh, great to see them reunited on TV, you know, even though they're in two different shows. There are a lot of crossovers. Last night there was a three-hour uh special of all three Law and Order series where all the characters were all connected around one, one crime that's been committed. It was interesting, but it's oh. very, very well written. And uh, I, I watch all three and, uh, and uh, I did watch, uh, I have watched Blue Bloods over the years because the family dynamic in that series is what makes it. Uh, it's been on for 12 years now uh so it's it's not as of interest to me as it was uh early on uh as the characters were growing and developing and and the writers were too uh but it's it's well it's well done and the actors are uh uh, are appealing you know
1: Uh, well listen i i always find you fascinating you're uh, and sharing stories you're a wealth of information and uh, a good guy to talk to. And if you do any other projects, I'm, I'm sure they'll be successful. And uh, I want to thank you again for coming on City Talk and just sitting here and shooting the breeze.
0: Well, uh, I appreciate you having me and hopefully I won't put anybody to sleep that's listening and uh, we'll continue to put one foot forward and see what happens, you know. Well, You know, if
1: you've got something you want to talk about, you know, you can always give me a call.
0: Well, thank you. I I appreciate that very much.
1: All right. Jim Rosen, that will do it for this edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's K J M E Y E R 7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.